Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Bars. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where we explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK, with a range of expert guests. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Education and Youth. Hi, thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I'm talking to my CFEY colleague, Kate Bowen-Viner, about menstruation in school and period poverty. Kate talks me through some of the fundamental ideas and debates on this topic, and then we discuss some of the research she's been looking at recently. This is a topic Kate's done her own extensive research on, and I learned a lot from our chat. I hope you do too. Thanks for listening. The Centre for Education and Youth believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at cfey.org. So I'm here with Kate Bowen-Viner. Kate, when was the last time you were on the podcast? It was when I first started, when we were still LKM Co, before we became the Centre for Education and Youth. So okay. I want to say it was at least 18 months ago, but it might have been two years ago. I didn't know it had been that long. Feels like a long time ago. Okay, because we've had... about youth homelessness, I think. Wow, yeah, that would have been a while ago, because we just had Loic, who'd never been on the podcast. So wow. I'm, I'm glad that we're kind of bringing people back into the fold. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm glad to come back hey, as well. Really good to have you. So on this research roundup, we're going to be talking about menstruation in school and period poverty. Can you tell us a bit about why this topic interests you in particular? And then we can get onto the research that you've been looking at recently and what that tells us and some of the issues and problems there. Sure. So I think there's a couple of reasons why I'm really passionate about this area. Particularly, you know, I'm a woman. I have periods. I had periods as a teenager um, and I experienced periods in school. I was also a teacher and many young people who were in my form group would ask me for tampons and sanitary pads when they were on their periods because they didn't have access to them. So it's something that I've, you know, I've experienced menstruation, I've seen period poverty, and I've also recently done my master's dissertation on girls' experiences of menstruation in school. So it's a particularly important area for me in the last sort of year and a half whilst I've been doing that master's. Mm. And you've now completed that master's, haven't you? Yes. Before we get into the research, do you feel like this as a, as a topic, as an issue, has gained more traction and attention recently? Definitely. So I think in the UK specifically, I should say. So I think it's been sort of around 2017, this became like quite a focus for the media because there were reports of schoolgirls missing school because they didn't have access to menstruation products like pads and tampons and moon cups. And that was preventing them from going to school, from attending school. So that became a large focus. There were quite a few organisations that sort of came into being, like the Red Box Project, which is a charity which has existed for the last couple of years. So yeah, there's been a big focus on period poverty. And then as part of that, I think that has now sort of created a wider conversation about menstruation and about women's health. And we see a lot of people talking about endometriosis and women's health issues. And I think all of these things feed into each other. Mm. So I think there's become a bigger interest. But I should say that internationally, you know, there have been academic studies on period poverty and menstruation education and also health and sanitation for girls specifically and how that crosses over with attendance in school and experience of school for a longer period of time. And there have also been charities existing 
for a longer period of time to eradicate period poverty in different parts of the world, usually in poorer countries. Mm. And some of the research you've been looking at recently, which we'll be discussing, has a developing country context to mm. it, right? And so that's... Sure. I'm guessing that might be why there's probably more of an established research base there. Yeah, so I think as well, in terms of thinking internationally, that a big focus from sort of the early 2000s was about getting more girls into school. And I think that's kind of where the focus for period poverty in that sort of area of work has, has come from. Hmm. Is this just about attendance in education or actually is there, if we can change the system so that you're possible to kind of show up at school does that mean that we've solved the problem and I'm guessing the answer is kind of no but it'd be interesting to explore some of the reasons why that's that's the case yeah so I should be up front and just say that I definitely don't think that's the end of the story so I should give a bit of maybe give a bit of a context as to what's happened in the UK at the moment and why I don't think you know improving girls attendance rates is the end of solving sort of period poverty or improving girls experiences of menstruation in school. And before you do that can you just define period poverty? Yeah so in the UK when we talk about period poverty we're largely talking about girls being unable to afford menstruation products and that's having an impact in terms of their education but we're just talking about girls or women not being able to afford period products. In international context, the term menstruation poverty or period poverty is often used to talk about girls and women not having access to menstruation products, but also not having knowledge about menstruation. And I think those lines kind of cross over. I think sometimes in the UK, people use the term to talk about a lack of education around menstruation as well. Mm. Okay, thanks. That's really Does useful. Does that make sense? I yeah, hope so. really good. For some people, this might be a new term that they might not have come across before. So hopefully that's kind of decreasing numbers of people, this would be a new term too, but that's been really helpful to get that outlined. We were talking about whether attendance is the only thing that we should be looking at here, mm. and you don't think that's the case, so could you kind of explain why? So, I think, firstly I'll just explain the context of what's happening in the UK at the moment, Great. and then take it from there. So. There has been an amazing amount of activists' work, which has really changed things in a really short period of time. So it massively shows the power of people, I think, in terms of improving girls' experiences of menstruation in school and eradicating period poverty. So we've had an announcement from the government that primary and secondary schools can get access to funded menstruation products so that schools can have free access to menstruation products to give to girls. It's an opt-in service. So please, if you're listening and you're a school and you would like to get menstruation products, please do have a look at the Redbox project. They've got a, a mailing list that you can sign up to and you can get information about how to apply and when those things will sort of come about. Okay. So that's happened. And when the government announced that, they're talking about period poverty and they're largely talking about giving girls access to those products to improve attendance rates. It seems that's the sort of media narrative around it. We've also got a period poverty task force who are looking at eradicating period poverty and also looking into elements of menstruation education. Um, so those are really positive things. But like I sort of said, I feel like the general narrative and discourse around period poverty and around menstruation in school is focused on attendance. And I'm not saying that school attendance is not important, of course it is, but the story is so much wider than that, the experience is so much wider than that. And menstruation stigma has a huge impact on the way girls see themselves, how they feel about themselves, and the things that they do. 
Plan International UK recently did a huge report about girls' experiences of menstruation in school and that's sort of a key thing that they found was that girls were not participating in sports, didn't feel they had enough privacy in school, had experienced bullying and, and sort of sexist abuse because they were menstruating. So I think there's so many areas in which menstruation in school can affect. And you might be turning up at school, you might be yeah. attending, you're counting in the attendance figures, but that doesn't mean that you're not experiencing some kind of discrimination or having any range of adverse impact yeah. on your mental well-being, for instance, as a result of being on your period. And then we don't know the knock-on effects of that in terms of impact on you know, achievement in school and all sorts of other outcomes that might be linked to those experiences. Mm. And I think menstruation stigma is so widespread in society. It is clearly present in schools as well, based on the research that we have. Mm. And I think that's a really important area to think about as well as attendance. You know, I certainly don't want to dismiss the fact that attending school is very important and it's really great to see the work that's being done, but we don't want to take our eye off the ball in terms of expanding the work in this in this area, which is really important. So should we move on to the research that's like specifically that we were going to consider for sure. this episode? As we flagged before, it's actually really interesting to see here there's a big contribution from the developing context because mm. there's more of a body of research there. And as you're talking us through the research, one of the things that would be useful for you to bring out where you can is where we can learn lessons from that research and where the findings might be less transferable. Because that's always a question when you're looking at research that maybe isn't, for instance, conducted in a UK context yet, is well, what can we draw from existing research? So yeah. Should we kick off with the first piece? Yeah, sure. So the first one that I was going to talk about is called It's a Girl Thing, Menstruation, School Attendance, Spatial Mobility and Wider Gender Inequalities in Kenya. So this report was published in 2014 okay. and it was conducted in Kenya. It was largely a qualitative piece of work. So it was looking at girls' lived experiences of menstruation and basically whether or not those experiences reflected and reproduced inequalities in gendered school attendance. They did have a focus on attendance and they wanted to see how girls' experiences of menstruation affected that, basically. Okay. And the reason that these authors chose to do a qualitative study is because they'd found that quantitative studies looking at the impact of free menstruation products on attendance had contradictory results. Okay. So previous studies that had been done, some of them said, it, yes, it was effective in terms of improving school attendance. Some of them said not. So mm. they thought, right, well, let's look at lived experience let's do a qualitative study addressing and, more outcomes than just yeah the let's look at the whole picture and get rich data so th that's what they decided to do mm. they conducted interviews and focus groups with girls in different schools they used some participatory methods as a conversation prompt so they asked girls to rank the reasons why they were off school and they asked girls to draw their ideal toilet to discuss sanitation issues so they kind of use these as discussion prompts and they also conducted some observations of organizations providing free menstruation products to girls what they found out was basically that menstruation impedes girls mobility in school so i.e when girls were menstruating their access to education was worse. So that included things like not only them attending school, but also they felt, you know, girls were very worried about leaking. So what I mean by leaking is blood coming out of a, 
a towel or a tampon or leaking onto a chair and that your menstrual status being sort of on display to other people. So we felt very stressed about that. They were worried about participating in sport whilst they were on their periods. They experienced the stigma and taboo and they were also really worried about having not enough privacy from boys in terms of the their access to toilet facilities. So things that they spoke about things to do with locks on doors and they wanted more privacy from boys basically. Mm. And also a really interesting thing in this study is that menstruation was often seen as a sign of girls' sexual maturity. So when girls started menstruating, some parents wanted to take them out of school to either protect them from sexual abuse in the outside world or because they felt that women, you know, once they'd entered puberty should now be at home doing work there. And I thought that was a really interesting finding. And another really sad finding was that girls sort of disclosed that they'd been sexually exploited for menstruation products, mm. which is very sad. What does that mean in reality? What, what kind of things are we considering there? They'd been sexually exploited by older men right. in order to get sanitary towels or, or tampons. Right, in order to access that, yeah. that basic basic need yeah right I think what's interesting about that was the way the authors have conducted the study they and analyzed the data they've kind of positioned menstruation in part of a wider sexist society so they you see how menstruation interacts with other gender inequalities in these girls lives mm. for instance might that include things like financial security or the ability that individuals or the control that individuals have, have over their own yeah. finances and their, yeah, their exactly. ability to, to purchase what they need. Exactly. Right. But also, you know, in terms of, so girls were very worried about having privacy from boys. That clearly reflects gendered ideas about men being kept away from menstruating women and may reflect kind of ideas about menstruation being considered dirty and not something to share with men. The reason I bring that up is because I think that's actually something we see in a lot of UK discussions. So I think that that's quite interesting that those are similar ideas. Some of the stuff we're talking about here in this study that was conducted in Kenya is about some of the taboo surrounding mm. menstruation, but there is clearly taboo surrounding menstruation in the UK in a, oh, yeah. in a very different kind of economic context. And what's really interesting is, I don't want to go on about my masters too much, I found really similar findings in terms of girls' experiences of stigma, taboo, and their wanting privacy mm. whilst menstruating. It's really similar to what I found in the, in the UK. The embarrassment and the worrying about leaking, and I think that's something that you see in, in other UK studies that have been done. It's really interesting. And a point I wanted to ask about, because it seems to come out from a lot of the literature in this area, but this study in particular, is that there's that, that sort of tension between creating more safe private spaces for women to, to menstruate. But an aspect of that that is less supportive is the kind of the, I guess the taboo surrounding it, the fact that it's not something that society wants to see or can handle or can understand. And mm. so we, we insist as a society that aspects of it are kept away from us. Seeing it as dirty, for instance, or yeah. something we don't want to to have to, to be around, but at the same time, we in, you know, in the same breath, don't create safe spaces. Is there a tension there, or actually is there a, the is there a way forward? It's the history of patriarchy, isn't it, really? Oh, but. Right. 
So there's, so as yet, there's not really a solution. Well, I think the reason that that has come about, those two things you're talking about, wanting to keep menstruation secret and also not providing the correct facilities for women or even the correct sort of toilet and sanitation facilities for women, those two things kind of go hand in hand to me because okay. like we've, across the world, we've had, you know, patriarchal society which favours men for a really long period of time. Yeah. And I would argue that is why we are have that situation at the moment yeah. and you know what in this in this piece of research when i read about the task where they were asked to draw their ideal toilet i was i was like wow what an interesting task but that's because i've probably never had to go into a toilet and think do i feel safe here does this toilet have what i need you know as yeah. a white middle class man i've never really had to worry about that stuff so that that does demonstrate how there's actually really big the patriarchy has assembled barriers around us, which makes some of this stuff hard to see, depending on what side of that yeah, wall yeah. you're on. So I, I got, yeah, I got that strong sense when I was reading it, like, wow, there's a reason why that has jumped out at me as a interesting Definitely. title. It's not something I've even ever had to think about before, and that's probably a big part of the problem. Yeah, you know, and also that's part of the problem, right? Like, so it's not, I don't want to sound that I'm saying, you know, all men are sort of saying that p women should keep their periods secret and also we're not going to give them any resources to, to sort of deal with menstruating or women's health. I'm not saying that's the case, but it's just it's just the case of like how history has been. Yeah, and absolutely. you know, boys and men deserve to have to have that knowledge about menstruation and women's health as well mm. in their everyday lives. In terms of like how you deal with those problems right now, I think thinking about the individual right an individual girl is menstruating and let's say she feels really embarrassed about it and she's really stressed you don't want to put her in a position where she has to talk about menstruating to the whole to everyone in her class because the reality is although it shouldn't be the case the reality is that there is a stigma and you don't want her to feel, to suffer the negative impacts of that whilst also trying to get the resources that she needs mm. or the support that she needs from a teacher say so i suppose there is a tension between those those sort of two things in the uk and probably everywhere mm. so this second piece kate can you give us an overview sure so this one is called do menstrual hygiene management interventions improve education and psychosocial outcomes for women and girls in low and middle income countries a systematic review so quite a different sort of study to the first one yeah so this one is a systematic review which is basically where you look at existing studies and you try to answer your research question using data that's already been collected and in different studies so almost like taking an average from what's already yeah, out there what's already out there okay so what they were looking at was how effective were menstrual hygiene management interventions that which were either like hardware interventions so something physical like providing free products improved water sanitation and hygiene so they wanted to look at the impact of hardware interventions and software interventions like education to understand menstruation that's what software interventions are okay so how effective were those interventions in improving girls education work and psychosocial well-being hmm. And psychosocial well-being is just well-being, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, they were looking at those two different types of interventions. So they basically looked for existing studies that match their search criteria. So what they basically found out that for software interventions, that had 
had a, generally had a positive impact on menstrual knowledge, but there was only there was limited data in terms of how much of an effect you know software interventions like education have on girls' school attendance. Okay. And sort of psychosocial outcomes were only assessed in one study and the authors reported that feelings of shame, lack of self-confidence and insecurity did not improve in the education-only arm of a study. Okay. So there's limited conclusions that we can make about that in terms of the impact of education on menstruation mm. had on, on the girls in these studies. But, you know, one thing that we can say is that this study would suggest that educating girls about menstruation has a positive impact on menstrual knowledge, which is not entirely surprising. You would expect that to be the case. But it does kind of make you think, well, there's not really that much existing literature or existing studies on what impact education on menstruation has on other outcomes. Mm. So that's an interesting thing that they sort of found there. What kind of education might we be talking about? So specifically like sex education, talking about puberty and talking about like, it might, I, I think in this study, I'm right in saying I should maybe look into what the particular education interventions were, but it, it might include talking about biological facts and those kind of things. So just mm. basic knowledge about menstruation. Is that about trying to make people more comfortable in their own bodies or is it about something else that's i'm picturing that that education might be geared towards an, a deeper understanding of your body and what it's doing yeah yeah so that you don't feel uncomfortable in your body or, or worried or anxious about what's happening is is it that sort of territory you're in or yeah, I misunderstood I think it? so yes i think so that's that's correct but i suppose it totally depends on when we're thinking about how an intervention is delivered i think depending on who is delivering it that will make a difference in terms of what the the exact purpose of delivering that education is, if you see what yeah, I mean. Okay. So it may be the case that one intervention explains biological processes and whoever's delivering it thinks that they should just share that with young people because young people need to know those things. Yeah. But it can yeah, it can also involve sharing that information with young people to make them feel more comfortable in their own bodies. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Just okay. to clarify. Something that jumped out to me is, of all the literature that there is out there, there were only eight studies included in this systematic review, oh, yeah. which often, you know, when you're left with a small, a small basket of studies in a systematic review, that's often because there wasn't that much. But they've got to be comparable on key things, like their methodology, but also the outcome they're measuring. Yeah. For obvious reasons, you can only yeah, kind of yeah, average yeah. something if they're all measuring the, the same, same thing. thing. So in some ways, it's a, another good indication of just how many different potential outcomes there are with this sort of this sort of work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think that's a problem, isn't it, when you're thinking about studies that are done in different places, particularly if you're looking at attendance. Attendance is recorded in different places. So comparing results from studies isn't always that easy if you're not using the consistent way of measuring school attendance or recording school attendance. When they were looking at the impact of hardware interventions across these eight studies, so sort of providing physical things to girls in school. They found that there was a moderate but non-significant impact on attendance. But again, the authors talk about how the fact that how attendance data is collected in different countries and even within different sort of jurisdictions or within different cities mm. and how that can impact results. So it may, it's quite difficult to make a conclusion about that, I guess. Sure. But on the face of it, you know, the, the study sort of points to just a moderate but non-significant impact on attendance 
simply providing these sort of hardware interventions mm. rather than doing both hardware and software interventions or doing software interventions. Mm. And one study did look at changes in psychosocial outcomes and they found that shame, lack of confidence, insecurity and difficulty concentrating were improved following a hardware intervention. So that's quite interesting because not many studies, which you were supposed to talk about, not many studies look at that many outcomes when they they usually the hardware intervention studies would usually look at something like school attendance mm. so it's quite interesting that one study looked at that and actually when you do look at a basket of outcomes wider outcomes than attendance related to a hardware solution it looks like there is potentially some yeah it's kind of hard to draw hard and fast conclusions from this few studies, studies yeah but it's interesting that there's potentially something there yeah so although i've like listed a load of sort of findings that they had basically the main point is there's not really enough research looking at enough potential outcomes of these interventions to really make that valid conclusions about how effective it is to provide what impact does providing free menstruation products have what impact does providing menstruation education have and what type of menstruation education as well does that also feeds into that so basically the conclusion that I'd make from this is that you need more research done mm. and on that note should we come on to our third and final yes. piece which is which has been carried out in a UK context so as we were saying the previous studies although they weren't carried out in the UK or focused on UK literature one thing I've learned is there's actually quite a lot of transferable findings and conclusions or important like conceptual distinctions on the kind of things you might want to measure as an outcome or the, yeah. or the different categories of potential solution or intervention. So that stuff all seems really helpful, even though it's conducted in different contexts. But this, what does this UK-based research tell us? So I think this is just a brilliant piece of work. It's Plan International UK. It's called Break the Barriers, Girls' Experiences of Menstruation in the UK. So basically, it's a qualitative piece of work, but they do report some survey findings that Plan International UK did previously to this report. Okay. So they were looking at what having periods is like for girls in the UK. And although they don't say they use an intersectional lens, I'm going to say that they do use an intersectional lens. And what I mean by that is they don't just use a feminist lens to conduct this study where they're looking solely at gender. They're looking about how gender interacts with other social justice issues like religion. That's one thing that they look at in here and disability and how all of those intersecting factors impact the experience of menstruation. So if a woman is menstruating, her experience of menstruating isn't only going to be governed by her identity as a woman, for yeah. instance, of all the other things that she might have as part of her identity or the ways in which we might choose to label her. Or... Yeah, sure. Okay. So I don't think they use that word intersectional explicitly in the report, but I'm going to put that label on the report. They conducted focus groups with young people in England and Northern Ireland and they also combined that with a literature review about experiences of menstruation. They had loads of findings, but sort of the things that pop out to me is that knowledge and education on menstruation basically isn't up to scratch in the UK. So girls got a lot of information from their mothers and their friends and sort of seemed to rely on them quite a bit. The authors also found that there was knowledge gaps in terms of Amongst the girls that they conducted research with, those girls had knowledge gaps in terms of female anatomy, puberty, 
environmentally friendly menstruation products as well, which is an interesting one because I don't think it's something that I necessarily would have always thought about when looking at this issue with mm. menstruation in school. But of course, an important thing to think about, especially with the wider context of what's, you know, what we're aware of in terms of environmental issues in the world and how passionate young people are. Right, yeah, what, ma- be what matters of, to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. They also found that young people wanted to learn more about the lived experience of menstruation rather than solely like biological facts. So what is having a period like? How do you deal with certain situations, etc.? So I thought that was really interesting on education. And they also, young people also wanted ongoing education rather than these sort of like one-off things that happen in year nine where you have a day where you talk about periods and puberty. Actually, periods happen to people at different ages and sometimes in primary school. Why aren't we having constant education on menstruation? Mm. So that were the sort of main findings that I picked out about knowledge about menstruation and education. Mm. But also, you know, they, they found that girls had really stigmatised experiences of menstruation and didn't feel like they could talk about menstruation openly. And there was some discussion about sort of gender divide. So some discussion girls had about lessons being divided between boys and girls. And also like boys not feeling that they knew enough about menstruation and or didn't have the opportunity to do so. That was another interesting finding. And another thing which has been reflected in one of the earlier studies that I spoke about from Kenya, Mm. the girls felt they didn't have enough privacy, that it was difficult to access toilets during lessons. Things like toilets not being clean enough, not having bins Mm. to put products in. And that is something that I, from my personal experience of life, I think was a huge problem at school when I was at school, also when I was a teacher. It's not something we talk about very often, but it's really important. And... It's a fairly basic ask, right, that sort of stuff. And I don't mean that to, to belittle that particular point, kind of quite the opposite, but you think, you know, having access to a clean toilet yeah, with the right kind of bin in it is... Is really important. And this is, again, like, this is UK-based yeah. research, yeah. so it's... I question, why is it the case that those bins are not provided in some toilets in schools? Or why are they being knocked over and not sort of sorted out? Why is that? I don't know if it's just because of resources in terms of like schools not having staff to do to to deal with those situations or being able to provide those things or if it's something to do with embedded stigma in society that you would just wouldn't necessarily prioritize that over other things i'm not sure i I think you have most schools they will have maybe like they might have a facilities manager or they might have a site or a premises officer very often a man. Do you think that's part of the problem? The kind of bin that you have in the toilet might be governed by whoever does the purchasing in the school mm-hmm. or the contract. So maybe there are more people involved in that, but it might be just a straightforward example of a system that's designed by not just even men in this case, but you know, the man who's in charge of yeah. that stuff in the school, not even batting an eyelid when he's, you know, cleaning the toilet and doesn't notice that it doesn't have any doesn't have a sanitary bin, for instance. I don't know, is it could it just be as simple as that? I mean, it may be the case. And if we're talking about the history of, you know, education on menstruation and sex in this in this country, you know, it's quite likely that adult men who are working in schools wouldn't necessarily have had the opportunity to learn about menstruation or really spoken about the no. to, to other people about the experience of menstruation. So 
it's really great that there's starting to be more open discussions because maybe things like that will change. I mean, I cannot say for definite whether that is the reason why. This but if is even the case, that stuff is is difficult to secure in many schools, then I suppose it shows just how much further we still have to go. Yeah. Because on top of the provision of those of, of that hardware, yeah. useful distinction yeah. from the study you were just talking about, there's all of the attitudinal stuff layered on top of that and the stigma and the emotional, social emotional stuff. So anyway, I'm sorry I've digressed massively there. I just it's something that came to mind, picturing, you know, in tan on a tangible level, why might this stuff play out that way in a school? But anyway, yeah. carry on. No, no, it's an important thing to talk about. So I was also going to pick up on a couple of other findings that they have that were mm. really interesting. So they found that in some cases teachers have negative attitudes to menstruation and made stigmatised comments about menstruation in school. Really? And I don't think that's particularly surprising. Like I said, menstruation stigma exists in the whole of society and education has not been great on menstruation for many years. So I don't think it's particularly surprising that teachers might have stigmatised ideas about menstruation and reflect that in terms of what they say to young people. So I think that's why training for teachers is really important. So that, that was another interesting finding. And also, they quote another study in this piece by Plan International UK. It was a study conducted in 2010 found that 44.5% of disabled young people did not receive any sex ed at school. That's really shocking. It is, yeah. And it's awful because it's obviously something that everyone has the right to know about. Right. The proportion for young people without a disability is fractional, right? Because it's yeah. something that all kids should receive at school. Yes. And I, yeah. I don't have the exact number, but it would be that's a huge in That's a huge inequality. Yeah. Right. Huge inequality. That's the whole of sex ed that that statistic is talking about. Mm. But if we're thinking about menstruation everyone has the right to know about like what is happening to them and how to or happening to other women and girls around them and and sort of how that affects everyday life and mm. everyone has the right to know that so it's highlighted that figure the mm. report does although they didn't specifically look at they didn't specifically do anything to do with that statistic as well. I mean, they didn't generate that statistic in this study, but sure. yeah, really important yeah, to that is. consider. Yeah, that's really startling. And they also talk about how the internet is and the media is, is a key source of information for young people. So whilst it can be sort of useful for young people to look up on the internet, let's say you Google, this is happening with my period, I want to find out if that's normal. I mean, you can do that, we can all do that. You can certainly look at the NHS website. They, they spoke about how that can be positive, the internet can be positive as a way to find out more information. But some young people also highlighted the negative side of using the internet and relying on sort of media stories for information. Because you get scary stories about periods in terms of, you know, girls or women dying from using tampons for too long and other things that, that are sort of worrying to young girls. And there are also stories on the internet that promote the stigma of menstruation. So it's a double-edged sword. Whilst you might get useful information from the internet, I think it needs to go alongside open and honest conversations about menstruation and deconstructing the stigma around menstruation. Mm. And really it's probably going to require some kind of base knowledge that's going to come from a reliable, trusted source like a... I was going to say like a school. School, to some extent, are kind of yeah. part of the problem, historically. 
but it's like many forms of knowledge. It's you're a better equipped consumer of what you might find on the internet if you've already got some solid yeah, foundations definitely. in place already. For instance, through sex ed, or um, for me, it kind of points back to the the real importance of receiving some kind of common baseline of that stuff at school, providing it's of a high quality. I think it's a necessarily complex issue, right? Like it's too easy to oversimplify, and yeah. that's when we don't really get anywhere. So it's been really really positive to have a bit of time to explore it with you um, I've certainly learned a lot I wanted to end on the most constructive note that we can so from the research that you've conducted yourself from the pieces that we've considered here and from your awareness of what's going on at the moment on the ground in the UK specifically could you give us a couple of next steps I guess either for research that you think needs to be carried out or things that people can do who are listening or things they might want to get involved in? Okay, so firstly, I think the easiest thing is just for everyone to start talking about periods more. And I think that's when we're talking about young people's experience of school, it's particularly important for parents and teachers to be talking about menstruation openly and to be challenging stigma where they see it. So it may be the case, an easy option for some parents, if you're watching TV and there's a stigmatised comment made about periods, it might be useful to, to chat about that and break it down. And it's the same for teachers. If pupils are talking about periods or use periods as a way to you know, put down a girl in, in class, which does happen as has been shown in some of these studies, Perhaps it's about breaking that down and thinking and, and really challenging the stigma that that is around us all the time. Mm. So I think that's really important. I also think, you know, schools should be taking up this opportunity to get free menstruation products in and using that as a way to break down stigma. Because I kind of think that it's quite likely that if products are available and you see them in toilets, you're kind of likely to think, okay, this is not something that is hidden. The school have put these there for us. So I think the two things go hand in hand. So mm. I think that that's really important. I think there does need to be more research in terms of what impact menstruation education and um, providing hardware interventions like period products has on a range of outcomes for girls and boys in school. And also for men and women, um, when they're older, in terms of health outcomes, especially for women and mm. attitudes towards women's health, I think that's, that would be a really interesting area to look at mm. and might give us some more pointers on what we should be doing. And I also think that the media should be, and particularly advertisers, should be thinking about the messages that they put out to the wider world about menstruation as we spoke about, menstruation crosses over with sexism in wider society that mm. takes place in many different formats. And so I think advertising and just general media discussion around menstruation does impact the way that women and men think about women and that has an impact in terms of the gender roles that people play and the, and the stigma that women experience constantly. So I think that's an important thing for media and corporate organisations to take a look at. Yeah, thanks. That was kind of two two points with an extra bonus to you. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was a bit mean just to ask for two. There was a, a really nice set of tangible, constructive things to take away there. And on that note, you blogged on this topic as well. So yeah. if anyone wants to know more, a good place to start out might be this CFEY blog. 
Just look for Kate's stuff and you'll find it. Kate, thanks loads for your time. No worries. It's been really good to have you back on the podcast and hopefully we can see you again soon. Great. Thanks, Sam. Cheers. We love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. One, subscribe. Hit the subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you're listening. Two, share. Share this episode with someone you know who will find it interesting. Three, review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.